Absolutely fantastic to be with you. This is the church service that my wife and I come to, and we, we're here every week, and uh, it is such a privilege to get to open God's Word so that we get to meet with Him and be changed with Him. So, are you ready for this adventure? Yeah. Okay. Do you realize that almost everybody around you is trying to squash you into a box? That is, people want to put a label on you. They're going to try and work you out. They're going to try and say, yes, I know all about you because you're in that box. Like, seriously, don't you just hate that when people try and isolate you and pretend that they somehow know all about you? Six years ago, when we made this wonderful adventure under God's guidance to the land of South Africa, we're in the early days just getting to know how things are done in South Africa. And so we're opening a bank account, rough at FNB in Canal Walk, and I was asked a question that nobody has ever asked me in my life. So there's a beautiful young uh, bank attendant on the other side of the counter, my wife and I there sitting down, name, address, all that. And then she asks this question, Mr Hawkins, what race are you? Now, I want you to understand nobody in my previous 61 years had ever asked me that question. I didn't actually know what the correct answer was. She said, Mr. Hawkins, what race? And I said, that's, that's going to affect how you look after my money. She said, look, it's a requirement. I need to put it down. Mr. Hawkins, what race are you? I said, okay, write this down. Here is my race. Human. Everybody here is in that race, aren't you? Come on, come on. Like, seriously? And she said, Mr. Hawkins, there's some choices here, and I have to put you into one of these boxes. I said, okay, what are the choices? She said, well, there's white, there's black, coloured, Asian, Indian, other. And I said, so, I can pick one of those. And she said, yes. I said, I would like to pick black. Put it down. And she's going, Mr. Hawkins, you are not black. I'm saying, well, actually I am. I'm kind of a light-coloured black person. I'm seriously black. She's saying, Mr. Hawkins, you are not black. And I said, well, listen, I'm kind of white on the outside, but I'm black on the inside. Black. She said, Mr. Hawkins, you are not black. I could see we're going nowhere. And I said, okay, white. And she said, now I know which box to put you in. Do you understand there's nothing wrong with that process, but do you understand the world is trying to categorize you and put a label on you and pretend that they understand everything about you. As people are getting to know me, they, they suddenly realize I don't sound like your average South African. I don't sound like a white South African, a coloured South African, a black South African, an Indian South African, an Asian South African, and anybody South African. And then they realise, oh, you're Australian. Now, by the way, that's true, but what they actually mean is, you're Australian and we all know what Australians are like. They've got the little box worked out and they can squash me into it. Oh, you're from down under. No, I'm actually from over across. Like, Put another shrimp on the barbie. 
Oh, you all got like pet kangaroos and you wrestle crocodiles. Oh, Australians, you're all descended from convicts, so you always cheat at sport. Like, give an Australian a cricket ball and some sandpaper, and you know, and they think they've got me all worked out. They say, so how do you earn your money? I say, well, I'm a pensioner. Oh, a pensioner. Now, that's true, but they're saying, and we all know what pensioners are like. <laughs> they drive slowly in the right-hand lane and never use their indicators. <laughs> They clog up the lines at Macro on Pensioners Day. And they think they got me worked out. Well, what did you used to do? Well, I was a youth pastor. Oh, a youth pastor. In that, we all know what youth pastors are like. You're the ones that always leave a mess in the church. You're the ones that have broken the windows and caused the noise complaints. And like, you probably weren't good enough to become a real pastor, so you've just got to be the youth pastor, and maybe if you get better, they will promote you. You understand the labels that people put on you. And people will just try and box you in and say, look, I've worked you out. I know all about you. Oh, you're homeless. Oh, you're from Danoon. Oh, you're fat, you're skinny, you're tall, you're short. Uh, you're a feminist? Oh, you're, you're a fundamentalist? Oh, you're, you're Pentecostal? You're a single mum? You, you understand? If they can work out the box, they think they've got you. And I don't know about you. I just hate that. Of course, sometimes we are our own worst enemies and we put ourselves in a box. We're trying to work out, well, who am I? What defines me? What do I like? What would satisfy me? And you know what? Sometimes we look for those answers in some really dumb places. Can I just show you the three dumbest places that people look to try and work out who they are, what identifies them, and how they can be satisfied? Dumb place number one, empty possessions. Come on, when the going gets tough, the tough get shopping. And there's nothing like something new just to lift your spirits. It's a new car, it's a new skateboard, it's a new fashion outfit, it's a new hairstyle. It's a new phone. A brand new phone. And you're thinking, yes. Now, I have a question about this little device here. Is this a communication device or does it actually define who you are? Because a lot of people, I work with young people, I work with teenagers, this thing is not a communication device, it's the centre of every social interaction, and if you're not interacting with it, then you're left out and excluded. I was doing a seminar at a high school once, and in the assembly hall we had 200 grade 9s and grade 10s. And we're doing a whole lot of stuff about leadership, and we're playing a game. I would give them a question with two possible answers. And if they liked option A, they would run to that wall. And if they liked option B, they would run to that wall. And this was one of the questions. Here are your two choices. Option A, you lose your phone and you never get to use a phone for the rest of your life. That's option A. Option B, you lose your left leg and you never get to use it for the rest of your life. You have five seconds. What would you have chosen? 
Well, let me tell you, of the 200 students there, 150 chose to lose their phone. But 50 of them <laughs> would rather lose their left leg than lose their phone. And I went and just interviewed a girl and said, look, what made you decide to, to lose your left leg instead of your phone? And her answer was, what if two of my friends broke up and I didn't know about it? Empty possessions. You understand, we keep pursuing that, but they never satisfy. That's dumb place number one. Dumb place number two is empty relationships. We think just the next relationship, that'll be the one that changes me. And sometimes you're in a relationship and you pour so much into it, but maybe the other person isn't. And maybe you reach a point where your relationships are almost destroying you. You're not quite sure where they're heading. And even if it's a good relationship, like you and your best friend, or like a really good boy-girl relationship, or a really good marriage, if you think that all your emotional needs are going to be met by that other person, do you understand you'll be disappointed and it will end up as an empty relationship? It's a dumb place look to simply make you feel good here's the third dumb place empty religion that is if i just do the christian thing then jesus will fix all my problems and make me happy and i'll never have a worry for the rest of my life and i hope you've worked out that when you become a christian uh, some of those problems are still there and sometimes you get new problems that you never knew existed before you gave your life to Christ. And where people say, oh, well, I only did the Christian thing because I wanted to feel better, and I don't feel better anymore, so I am about to give up. People can come to a church service like this or a youth group and just put their hand up and say, oh, yes, I want to become a Christian, but they never take the next step. They never do anything about it. That's empty religion. It simply doesn't change anything. It just puts another new and label on there. You don't like something your church does, you stop attending. You get annoyed by something the preacher says, you just start to criticize. There's a song you don't like and so you boycott it and just don't join in. Do you understand empty religion never gets you anywhere and will never satisfy you? Can I tell you, here at Life Changes, we're not here to give you empty promises. We're not here to bombard you with empty possessions. We're not here to draw you into empty relationships. And we're certainly not here to bring you empty religion. We want to keep introducing you to a man who can absolutely change everything for you. A man who is the son of God, who can completely revolutionize everything that's going on in your life. Jesus himself, who can smash every one of your boxes and release you into your destiny. That's who we're looking at. And we started our series last week called Jesus Unfiltered. And Michael Hiddenskog, and I'll just use his language for a moment, he did a crack-up preach. Like it was fantastic. We saw Jesus with Nicodemus and the need to be born again. This week... We're going to look how Jesus meets up with a woman and he is about to blow her world apart. And it might just be, as you get to see Jesus up close and personal, that tonight he will blow your world apart as well. Are you ready for this? 
Okay, if you've got your Bibles there, open it up at John 4. Now, we will put things on the screen, but you've got to remember, that's for to welcome our visitors who may not have their Bible with them so that everyone can see it. But if you're here every week, have your Bible with you. We are in John 4, and we're going to stay in John 4. And my own title for this message is Only Jesus. And I want to show you three ways that it is only Jesus. And here's number one. Only Jesus wants the real you. Only Jesus wants the real you. Can we look with me in John chapter 4? And we'll start reading at verse 3. John 14, oh sorry, John 4, verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and went back more once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, Jesus is going to leave Judea in the south of Israel and go to Galilee up north. And in the middle is Samaria. Now, you've got to understand, the Jews and the Samaritans just hated each other. <laughs> the Jews have put all the Samaritans in a box. They're only the half-breeds. They're not true Israelites. They have false worship. They say they believe in God, but they're not doing it right. And yet Jesus chooses to walk through some very, very scary territory. What happens? Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. He's sitting next to Jacob's well. Now, quick, Old Testament on. Jacob had an, uh, another name. What was it again? Jacob, you know how it all works. But this was one of the Israelites' pin-up boys. This was a hero of the faith. Everything the Jews stood for. And here it was now in Samaritan territory. And he's about to change a woman's life forever. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus breaks through every cultural barrier so that he can start a relationship with this woman. And if you think you've built up any barriers between you and Jesus, I want to let you know he can smash through every one of them and he still wants the real you. Three barriers here. He's a Jew talking to a Samaritan and Jews and Samaritans simply did not talk to each other. Number two, he is a man talking to a woman that he did not know. And in that culture, that was taboo. That never happened, and yet it didn't stop Jesus. And number three, he is a holy rabbi, and he's talking with a sinful, immoral woman. And in those days, the rabbis steered away from the sinful people so they could just mix with the really good people. Every barrier that could stop him, 
Jesus breaks through. Every standard of behavior that the Jews could have said, you've got to reach this standard, Jesus ignores it. He doesn't put any standards. He doesn't tell her that she's got to do anything for him to start a conversation. And if you're thinking, I don't know Jesus would want a conversation with me, I want to say he absolutely does and there is no barrier that can stop him. Every religion in the world, there is a standard they set for your behavior. If you're a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or whatever, there are standards to say, there are rules you've got to obey, there's tenets of faith that you need to sign up for before you're in. Every club you belong to, there are rules for the members, every organization you belong to. If you go to a school, you've discovered there are standards for students' behavior and you've got to live up to them. The local government has rules about what you can and do on the front lawn of your house. The body corporate has rules about what you can put on your balcony of your unit. You, you understand the whole world has standards and you better hit them. But Jesus says, no, I want the real you. I want you just the way you are. Because remember, Jesus loves you so much that he takes you just as you are. And yet... He loves you too much to leave you as you are. And there is Jesus doing that. Look, when I was growing up, it was sort of a church-going family. And I kind of believed all those things. And I was desperately trying so hard to be acceptable to God. That somehow I could get good enough. That somehow I could impress him. That my good deeds would outweigh my bad deeds. And it was like running on a spiritual treadmill. The faster I ran, the faster the treadmill went. And I never knew that I would be good enough for God. One year after I left high school, a friend of mine explained about Jesus that he was ready to take me on just as I was, that he had died on a cross to forgive me from all my sins, that he had risen from his grave to give me the gift of eternal life, and there was nothing I could do to impress him that he already wanted that relationship with me. And it was like getting off the treadmill, and then I started to go somewhere in my spiritual life with Jesus. The first thing about only Jesus is that only Jesus wants the real you. Number two, only Jesus can satisfy you. And let me, uh, let me get you in on the secret here. Number one, it's not with empty possessions. So let's go to verses 13, verse 13 and 14. Jesus answered the woman, everyone who drinks this water in the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will come up, become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is promising something that absolutely will last forever. And he's using water as a symbol, a symbol of the eternal life he is offering, a symbol of his Holy Spirit, which he is ready to give to all those who believe. And he says to the woman, you, you think you're going to be satisfied if you drink this water? And she knows that she might feel satisfied, but the next day she's got to come back and get more. And the day after that, get more and more and more and more. We might think that food and drinks and the stuff of life is what satisfies it, but it never, ever does. 
you can go out and buy a Big Mac value meal and you'll eat it and you'll feel full and bloated and 60 seconds, 60 minutes later, you will feel hungry again. Jesus is not promising empty possessions and he's not promising empty relationships. He doesn't want just to, to serve by, get around that somehow and offer us something that's not going to last. Jesus is talking about giving us eternal life and that eternal life doesn't just mean you live forever. It means the most abundant, the most satisfying, the most rich, the most uh, glorious life you can imagine which never ever has to finish. Come on, we're, we're desperate to feel good about ourselves. We chase all sorts of things and sometimes we chase empty relationships. The woman was doing this. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. Now, Jesus, the smart thing to do would be to whip out the decision card, get her to say the sinner's prayer, sign her up, and she is a believer. That would have been a smart thing. How does Jesus answer her? Verse 16, he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man that you are now with is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. You see, Jacob's well was not the only place where that woman was looking for satisfaction. Her track record with the fellas needed a little bit of investigation. She'd had five husbands. The bloke she's shacked up with now, she hadn't even borrow, uh, bother getting uh, married to. And Jesus can see a pattern of chasing relationships, wrong relationships, sinful relationships. And he's saying, if you want to go further with me, if you want that, that water that will never evaporate, if you want that eternal life, you need to get rid of the stuff that's going to hold you back. And the same is true now. It's all right saying, yes, I love you, Jesus, but if there's stuff going on and you know it's holding your back and you can't be bothered to deal with it, Jesus saying, you cut that off, you leave it behind and you come follow me. I was at a high school once and uh, talking with a boy in grade 10. He wasn't a Christian, didn't come to our church, but he got to know me through our school programs. And he's telling me, he would have been, what, 15, 16 years old probably. He's telling me about this new girlfriend that he's got. And so in my normal, careful, sensitive way, I said, okay, so are you sleeping with her? And he says, oh, yeah. And in my continuing sensitive way, I said, so how's that going? And he said, oh, whoa, like, whoa, Saturday night, whoa. Okay. I met up with him a few weeks later and I said, so how's the relationship with that young lady? He said, well, he said, I think, I think we've broken up. I said, hang on, just a couple of weeks ago, the precise word you used to describe your relationship was, whoa, what's happened? He said, I can't, he said, I can't understand it. 
like, you know, we've been involved intimately, um, and I thought that would make it so much better, but I don't know, we lost something. We lost something in our relationship. Like, it's almost like I don't respect her like I used to, and we're just getting a bit distant, and it just seems like I think we're broken up. And he discovered all too painfully that chasing a wrong relationship is never the way forward. And you see some people, they just go from one to the next, looking for a person that will bring them satisfaction. And Jesus says, no, I want you, but I'm not going to offer you an empty relationship. I'm going to offer you a real and living relationship with the Father, through me, by the Spirit, one that can change you forever and never fade away. Because you remember... Jesus loves you so much that he takes you just as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are. And this woman is discovering how important that is. It's not with empty possessions and it's not with empty relationships and it's not with empty religion. Have a look at verse 20. The woman says, well, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain in Samaria, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do now. Salvation is from the Jews, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus saying, come on, the Jews were very particular about where you worship, but God is more interested in how you worship. Is it guided by His Spirit? Is it guided by His truth? Will you let God's Spirit take you into His written Word that you might become more and more like Jesus as you worship Him? And where it is doesn't matter. A mountain in Samaria, in Jerusalem, Life Changes Church, Edge Church, View Church, the location is not the key thing. It's what you're letting Jesus do in your heart. Is he, are you being led by God's Spirit every single day? And is God's Spirit, are you letting Him lead you into His written Word, which will mold and shape you and change your life forever? I grew up in a church which I think was empty religion. Like we went every week, every single Sunday and we stood at the right times and we sat at the right times and we sang and we listened and we gave and we left and everybody else did too. By the way, I believed it all. It wasn't like a problem in my life. I just thought that's the way it is. And at age 19, a friend of mine, they went to another church. He asked me to a youth event and I discovered some young people my age and it was almost like Jesus meant something to them. It was like it was a real and living relationship. They seemed inspired by him. They seemed energized by him. They seemed devoted to him. And they reached out to me with a care that I had never experienced from anybody at the church that my parents dragged me to. Jesus doesn't bring empty religion. He brings a genuine relationship. 
Why only Jesus? Number one, only Jesus wants the real you. Number two, only Jesus can satisfy you. And number three, only Jesus can transform you. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. Come, this woman and every other Jew longing for this promised Messiah, the messenger from God, the anointed one that was promised way back with Adam and Eve, who would come to this planet from God and he would be the serpent crusher, he would be the demon slayer, the conqueror of evil, the perfect sacrifice, the redeemer of God's people, the great I am, the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who will restore you and all of God's people for his eternal paradise. And they were looking and longing and thinking, when he comes, he'll fix things up. And this woman has Jesus right in front of her saying... I am that Christ. I am that Redeemer. And I want a relationship with you. Now, how would you feel if you were that woman? So right now, imagine Jesus walks up to you and looks you in the eyes and he's saying, I am your Christ. I am the one whom God has sent to restore you and to restore all of God's people as I take them to my heavenly paradise. Imagine Jesus there saying, I'm ready to smash any one of your boxes and release you into your destiny. How would you respond to being face to face with God's almighty redeemer? Because he has to be that Christ. It's only as that Christ that he can give you the gift of eternal life. It's only as the Christ that he can help you discover the real you. It's only as the Christ that he can transform you. And I simply want to check with you. Have you met with this genuine biblical Jesus? And I don't mean, oh yes, yes, I met with him five years ago at a rally. I put my hand up and I, I don't mean that. Are you still meeting with this radical Jesus? Are you meeting day by day with him? Are you being transformed by him every single moment and striving to live a life that he wants? And I want to ask you right now, are you ready to be transformed by Jesus? To be transformed by Jesus undiluted, Jesus unaltered, Jesus untamed, Jesus uncaged, Jesus unleashed, unedited, unimpeded, unguarded, unfailing, unrefined, unlimited, uncovered, uncensored, unscripted, undisputed, unequaled, undefeated, unbeatable. Are you ready to be transformed by Jesus? unfiltered.